This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Today we are reading in Matthew 6, 31-33. When you turn your Bibles there, will you please stand? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Heavenly Father, we uh, are grateful this morning to be here. Lord, grateful for your revelation, your giving us your word. Lord, grateful for uh, the participation of these children and, Lord, for uh, just the many ways that you bless us as a church and as individuals. Lord, we want to do all that we do here in such a way and uh, with such an attitude that it would bring honor and glory to you. Again, we thank you and pray uh, as uh, your word is proclaimed here. Would you please give us ears to hear? And I ask that you grant uh, accuracy and clarity, Lord, again, so that your truth is faithfully communicated and so that we may apply it rightly and live to your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Should already be open to Matthew chapter 6 here. And really what I want to do and. uh we're going to take in a little bit more than what, what uh, Jordan just read, but, uh, but that's where we're headed. Um, so our, our focus is pretty much going to be um, on verses 25 through 34. And again, uh, I would say the climax for this section is verse 33 that Jordan just read. But seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All right, so that, that's going to be the, the uh, primary point of focus. Um, really, um, probably safe to say that that's, the, uh, that's been the point of focus all the way through the Sermon on the Mount. That's the point of focus all the way through the Bible. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Bob. Uh, it's kind of like saying that uh, Jesus is the focus of Revelation. Well, that's, that's not just in uh, the New Testament. It's not just in certain parts. That's, that's throughout the Bible. Okay, it should be good there. All right, so this is Jesus' message. Again, I would say all the way through, seek first. In other words, He's, he's setting a priority for us, for the believers and, again, I think it would be safe to say that he's, he's articulating a priority that the believers have. Now, this is characteristic of the children of the kingdom or the kingdom heirs. So, um, this is the, the longing, the desire, uh, the passion of every child of God to, to know Him better, 
And it doesn't matter if, if you you know if you've been saved five minutes or if you've been saved fifty years. Um, I think uh, just from what I see in the scripture, I think th- that longing, that desire, should be there. We we never know Him fully. Now think about that. We can know Him. Now here's here's where I would. Um, uh, a lot of people, let me, let me say it this way, a lot of people say that you can't know God accurately. And that's, that, that's a real common thought out in the world, out in society. You, you can't, in fact, that's, that's the heart of agnosticism, right? You, you can't know anything for sure. Well, I would say as a Christian that you can know some things. You can know God accurately, but not fully. There's a difference. Um, why can't you know Him fully? Well, because He's infinite. <laughs> you, you'll never exhaust the knowledge of God. In fact, I would go so far as to say this. This, this Bible is not God. Uh, it, it contains truth that God revealed to us. It's not the, the, the entire truth. Let me say it that way. Now, don't misunderstand me there. Everything in the Bible is true. Everything in the Bible is is part of the revelation God has revealed to us. But He has not revealed to us everything. And I think that we will spend an eternity learning. Because God is infinite. But I, I was going to say a moment ago, and I would say this, even though the Bible, in a sense, is limited, it doesn't give us the entire truth, we won't exhaust it either. I mean, he's he's given us enough here um, that you you can't exhaust it in a lifetime, and you can just keep going back to his revelation, the Bible. You can just keep going back to it, keep going back to it, keep going back to it, and keep learning, because there is more there than we can take in in a lifetime. And God's truth, God Himself, is inexhaustible, infinite. Uh, R. F. Gates used to say, "It's like." Uh, trying to empty the ocean with a thimble. Takes a while. <laughs> Although with God, it's not going to happen. We're never going to exhaust the knowledge of God. But that's, that's the heart of a, a believer. We are, we are seekers searching for uh, a better, fuller knowledge of Christ. Uh, the, the, uh, Example of the Apostle Paul always comes to mind in Philippians 3, where his heart's cry is, that I may know Him. And that's an astounding statement, because you, you, you look at Paul, the life of Paul, the ministry of Paul, the revelation God gave through Paul. He wrote the majority of the New Testament. And you could say, well, didn't, didn't he know God? Certainly he did. He just wanted to know more. He just wanted to, to know better. He just wanted to draw closer uh, and, and have better fellowship with God, be more like Christ. So that was his cry. All right, so this is where we're going. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That is priority. Takes precedence over anything in this world. Now let me just walk us through a few things here before we come back to verse 25. And, and so we can just kind of get the setting again of the Sermon on the Mount. 
Um, we were presented in the Beatitudes, first part of chapter 5, with what we called characteristics of the kingdom heirs. For example, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. Um, verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Verse 5, blessed are the meek. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, which is uh, uh, another way of talking about seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That is, uh, uh, the kingdom heirs have a hunger and a thirst for that that cannot be satisfied anywhere else. Blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, uh, and so forth. These are characteristics of Christians. The kingdom heirs, those who are in enjoy right relationship with Christ. And we also pointed this out, and what Jesus is saying, this is the only true life of happiness. What the word blessed means. The word blessed means happy. Um, and you can think of it, as we said last week, in terms of satisfaction. Those who are truly satisfied, those who are truly happy, are those who are poor in spirit, who mourn, who are meek, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, etc., etc. So Jesus still has all that in mind here. He's still laying out what it means to be a Christian, uh, how, uh, how that plays out in the Christian life, uh, and so on. So he gives us some admonitions. Um, we're, we're thinking in terms of true righteousness and seeking true righteousness. So he gives us some things that you don't want to do. Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the Pharisees, for example. In fact, in, again, in chapter 5, you look at uh, verse 20. Um, and I would say, again, this thought in chapter 5, verse 20 is, is, uh, is uh, still very relevant for where we're at today in chapter 6. Jesus says, I tell you, unless... Your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Further down in verse 48, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, Jesus is, is talking here about um, a genuine righteousness that flows from, uh, flows out of the work that God has done in us, in regenerating us. A born-again person takes on a whole new perspective, has a whole new view of life. Things, are, uh, things that are important to us differ from those that are important to the world. Our righteousness and our desire for righteousness, in fact, our, our very understanding of righteousness, differs from that of the world. And keep, keep that in mind as we talk about these things. Let me, let me, let me say it this way. When Jesus says, your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees, or when He says, uh, chapter 6, verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen. 
What, what is he talking about? What, what do we mean here uh, in terms of righteousness? And I, I think, by the context, that it's clear what he's talking about is how we live out the Christian life. In other words, you could say it this way. He's talking about good deeds, good works, how we relate to other people, how we uh, think about ourselves and God, and how we act based on that understanding. That's what I mean by a different perspective. We have a different perspective from the world. We see ourselves as spiritually lacking, impoverished. We have no uh, good within us to present to God and say, here, um, bless me according to this. Doesn't doesn't exist. Um, we we because of that then are meek, and because of that we're peacemakers. In other words, God has made peace with us, and so we extend that to other people. We've got a different outlook, a different view. So he's he's talking about uh, simply put how we act, and the standard he sets is perfection. You want to act like Him. In other words, so far, for example, um, again, verse 48, you therefore must be perfect. This is chapter 5, verse 48. You must therefore be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He plays that out uh, prior to that. Verse 44, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good. And in other words, God Himself does good to the evil and to the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. That's, that's a characteristic of God. He loves His enemies. There is a sense in which He loves His enemies and He does good to them. Good and evil He sends rain upon. Alright? So that's, this is the, this is the kind of, uh, righteousness, the kind of deeds that Jesus is telling us to mimic. You must therefore be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. It's got to be genuine. Out of, a, out of a heartfelt love for God and a heartfelt love for a fellow man. It cannot be hypocritical. It cannot be um, a, a righteousness, a performing of good deeds just to be seen. It cannot be a performance of good deeds to receive the praise of men. It has to be motivated by and born out of a desire to please God and to be like God. <laughs> and that, that's the goal of every Christian. To be like Him. That is to take on His attributes. Now, we're never going to be God. There, there are um, teachers out there, uh, e- even among, even some that call themselves Christians that teach that ultimately we're going to be like God in the ultimate sense. 
And we're going to be gods. Well, um, it's not going to happen. The Scripture nowhere teaches that. God is holy in the sense that He is other than. But there is a sense in which we are to be like Him. He has what we call communicable attributes. That is, attributes that are communicated to us, like love, joy, mercy. These are attributes of God that are communicated to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. So, in this sense, we want to be like God. We want His excellencies, His glory reflected in our life. I think that's what Jesus is talking about here. So, you do good, not because it's going to earn you heaven. It's not. You do good because you want to be like God. You want God to be glorified in and through you. Now, with all that in mind, however, Jesus does promise reward for doing good. Beware of practicing your righteousness. Again, chapter 6, verse 1 before other people in order to be seen, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And the implication is there in that principle that he lays out, that you could have reward from your Father in heaven, but you're not going to have it if you are hypocritical. And then he spells that out with three different examples. Giving and prayer and fasting. And he says explicitly, for example, in verse 4, chapter 6, verse 4, um, you give in such a way that you're not seeking the praise of men, in verse 4, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, that's what Jesus wants us seeking. The reward of the Father. The pleasure of the Father. Seek to be like the Father. He loves and does good to His enemies. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. And Jesus is essentially saying, this is the standard for you. This is the standard for pure and genuine righteousness or holiness. And you must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, with all of that, we come to verse 25, chapter 6, verse uh, 25, verse 19 rather, where he talks about storing up treasures. Again, he's still talking about Practicing righteousness, doing good works in order to store up treasures, not here on earth, that is, don't seek the reward that comes from the praise of men and the attention of men, but store up treasures in heaven. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's a key phrase. So again, the difference in perspective, right? The world seeks the praise of men. The world seeks temporal reward, earthly reward. Jesus is saying, you're not to do that. You're to seek heavenly reward. Reward. You store up treasures, <coughs> treasures in heaven. And there's a play on words here because the uh, 
the word lay up there, the phrase lay up, uh, and I'm reading from the uh, English Standard Version here. The phrase lay up um, is related to the word treasures. Lay up for yourselves treasures. One is the verb form and the other is the noun form. So he's saying, treasure up for yourselves treasures. And he's talking about what we value. Different perspective. We have different values from the world. We, Christians, value heavenly things, heavenly reward. We don't seek to accumulate things here. We seek to accumulate things there. The pleasure of our Father. The blessings that flow from Him. Let me, let me give you a quote <clears throat> along those lines from uh, Charles Spurgeon. Who says, in fact, I'm going to give you a couple. Uh, one, he says, Accumulate for eternity and send your treasures into the land whither you are going. <laughs> so Spurgeon says, uh, send your treasure on ahead of you. You know, accumulate for eternity, not for this life. Again, Charles Spurgeon, out of our earthly possessions, that which is used for God is laid up in heaven. What is given to the poor and to the Lord's cause is deposited in the bank of eternity. To heaven we are going. Let us send our treasures before us. Lord, let me be rich towards Thee. I had better send on to my treasury in heaven more of my substance than I have already sent. I will at once remember the church and its missions, orphans, aged saints, and poor brethren. These are thy treasury boxes, and I will bank my money there says Charles Spurgeon. One more quote from him. <clears throat> Jesus says in Matthew 6.21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Spurgeon comments, This is a grand moral motive for keeping our desires above groveling objects. Just, just a way of saying it, 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 it lifts our sights up so that our desires aren't set on worthless temporal things. Spurgeon goes on, The heart must and will go in the direction of that which we count precious. The whole man will be transformed into the likeness of that for which he lives. You hear what Spurgeon is saying there? Our heart must and will. This is a rule. This is what Jesus is saying. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So our heart must and will go in the direction of that which we count precious, that which we value. So if we value the things of this world, then that's where our heart truly is, regardless of what we say from our lips. And Spurgeon goes on, the whole man will be transformed into the likeness of that for which he lives. Jesus says you're a slave to the one you serve. You may say that you're not. You know, the Jews stood before Jesus and said, we're Abraham's seed. We've never been in bondage to any man. He knew better. So don't lay up treasures here. Store up treasures in heaven. 
Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be, and you want your heart to be in heaven. What is precious to the child of God, to the kingdom heir, is not the things of this world. What is precious to us is Christ. Heaven, where Christ is seated. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. It's an imperative. Paul is saying, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, set your mind on things above, where Christ is, not on things on the earth. So our life takes a a different direction from that of the world. And it's a collision course, something you have to get used to. In living the Christian life, it's it's somewhat just to just to uh, use an analogy. Don't try this. This is only an analogy, okay? It'd be somewhat like going eastbound on the westbound side of interstate. Everybody else is going in the opposite direction you are. Well, one thing's clear though, isn't it? If if you if you're driving eastbound on the westbound side of interstate and everybody else is going the opposite direction that you are, the distinction is clear, isn't it? It's obvious. It stands out. If I'm looking at all, at nighttime I'm driving and I'm looking at all taillights and all of a sudden I see a set of headlights coming. (laughs) It becomes apparent real quick. The Christian lives differently than the world because there's a different perspective. Because there's a different perspective or outlook, there are different values. Our heart is set on different things than that of the world. Now, I'm trying to emphasize all that for this reason. Let me, let me try to explain that um, in light of verses 25 through 34. In fact, let me go ahead and read uh, some of this. Verse 25, chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you. And by the way, um, a, a rule of thumb. Let me stop myself here for just a moment. Uh, just, just an old saying that's uh, simple but helpful. Anytime you see the word therefore, what do you do? Find out what it's there for. Exactly. Um, so, I would say from chapter 5, verse 1, all the way through, this is what Jesus has in mind. But, more specifically, the immediate context, verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. It's an emphatic statement. He's saying it's impossible. You, you cannot... Be split on this. You cannot be in love with the world and in love with God. If you're, if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. There's, there's no middle ground. It's an either or. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. 
They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, I know I I took a little time on doing some recap there, but it's for this reason. I want want to be clear on how I'm approaching these verses um, because I I think there's going to be some difference in in, uh, uh, assuming, you know, you've heard them addressed before. I think there's going to be some difference, at least some difference in the way I've heard them addressed before. Okay? Usually, verse 25 through... 34 is, uh, is, is treated in such a way uh, as to, um, well, it's, it's to address worry, anxiety. And, and it's, it's used as, a, uh, as an exhortation to trust God rather than worry. Um, that is certainly true. And that certainly fits. I'm just going to I'm just going to come at it from a little different aspect, and I'll hopefully will explain clearly why. But let me say this: that that is certainly uh, a truth that the Scripture gives us. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. Trust God in all things. In all things. Philippians four six. Be anxious for nothing. Nothing. Very similar to Jesus' wording here. But there, Paul goes on to say, in everything, make your requests known unto God, right? Through prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will rule in your hearts and minds. That's, that's a blessed truth. Trust God in all things. In calamity, in peace, in poverty and prosperity. Trust God. In tribulation, in relaxation. <laughs> Wherever you are, rich or poor, trust God. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. But I, I just want to, this morning, go at what's behind being being anxious. What's behind worrying. Because I think that's really what Jesus is addressing here. I think everything up to this point makes this clear. He's contrasting two perspectives. 
two sets of values. Two uh, views, you could say. You may have heard the term, uh, for example, worldview. You know, everybody has a worldview. Some people don't know it. I mean, some of us have never thought about that before. But everybody has a worldview. That is, you've got a set of lenses that you view everything through. A perspective, a way of looking at things. And what Jesus is saying is, ours is different from the world. He's saying there's a wrong perspective and a right perspective. A wrong view and a right view. That's the kind of language the world doesn't like to hear today. <laughs> when, when you speak in those kinds of absolute terms, wrong, right. But that's the way the Scripture speaks. And he's saying the wrong outlook, the wrong perspective, the wrong view is to live life in a self-centered manner. To seek self or things that lead to self-satisfaction, temporal, earthly reward. To seek all of those things. To seek earthly things rather than to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Another way of saying it would be this. We are concerned with earthly things. That's, that's what consumes um, our thoughts. That's what drives us in our pursuits. That's what motivates us. We've got a concern for things. Things of this world. Can be material possessions. Money, like Jesus specifically mentions here. And by the way, the, uh, the, the, the word mammon is a little broader than that, which is uh, uh, the Old King James doesn't translate. It just brings it right over into the, to the English. Um, and, and so it, it, it carries the idea, not, not just cash, in other words. He's not just talking about the love of cash, but the love of things in general that you might accumulate It's the love of those things rather than the love of God. But that's where the heart of the world is. That is, non-believers. The affections of their heart, the affections of our hearts before we came to Christ, set on worldly things. And so we spend our life in that pursuit. Accumulating possessions, material Things, seeking um, comfort, pursuing status, doing things to be seen, to, to have the praise of men. That's what we uh, concern ourselves with. That's what we're anxious for. That's what we anxiously pursue. We, we spend our lives concerned with, what am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? And Jesus is saying, don't do that. Set your heart on things above. Don't 
consume yourself with the things of this world. Don't store up treasures here. Don't overvalue the things here. We're, we're given things by God to bless us. But they're not given to us to put in the place of God. So he says, don't be anxious about your life. That is your, your physical, present life here. What you will eat or what you will drink. Nor about your body, what you will put on. Why? What, what is wrong with being anxious about these things? Shouldn't we be concerned about these things? Let me, let me just try. I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm contradicting myself here. But there is a sense in which we should be concerned about these things, isn't there? I mean, you, we, we need to get out and work for a living to provide for our families, food, shelter, so forth. It's probably wise to have a, uh, uh, a retirement fund if you can do that. But we can't overvalue those things. And we can't let our lives be consumed with them. We can't fall into the same trap as the world thinking that that's what it's all about and that's where the true reward is. There is a level on which we can be concerned with them, but not to the point that we're overly anxious about them and the pursuit of those things consume our life. Why? Because that kind of worry or concern or anxiety is based on selfishness. Now, this is something I think is often overlooked in terms of anxiety. The, the root of anxiety is selfishness. It's selfishness. Too much concern for self and for things that we consider valuable to self. Jesus is saying don't do that. Don't be overly concerned with the things of this world. Why? Because you're a child of God. You're an heir of the kingdom. And even in this life, God's going to give you everything you need. He, he gives us... Now, I'm not saying He's going to make you rich. Some people do that. They say, okay, if you do verse 33, seek you first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, God's uh, going to add all of these other things to you, is what Jesus says. But some people interpret that as meaning He's going to give you everything you want. If you seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, then, then you'll get that fine car and you'll get that big house and you'll get that high-paying job. He's going to add those things as well. I don't think that's what He's saying at all. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Don't even give thought to those things. What He will do is add to you, that is, He'll provide for you the necessities of this life for godly living. For godly living. So if somehow, some way, God was glorified and I'm just going to use an extreme here, but if somehow, some way, God was glorified in, and you were seen to be godly in your suffering, 
then you may do without something like food or shelter. But if in that, the character of God is seen flowing through you, operating in you, and God is glorified, then He is fulfilling His promise. He is supplying for you what you need for life and godliness. I just say that because sometimes what we think we need and what God knows we need are two different things. So he's saying, don't be overly concerned with the things of this world to the point of pursuing them. Now, I think uh, verse 32 uh, reinforces what I'm what I'm suggesting here. In other words, Jesus is not just, and I don't want to, I don't want to downplay. I mean, if you've looked at these verses as comfort, um, you know, don't worry because God's going to take care of you. By all means, uh, I'm not trying to take anything away from that. He is, he is absolutely saying that. But, but I think, uh, again, the, the main thrust of what he's saying, it, 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 uh, is consistent with the rest of this sermon. He's saying the world seeks one thing, the kingdom heirs seek another. So don't be overly anxious about things like what you'll eat, what you'll wear. Verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after these things. You see what he's saying? He's still talking about seeking, pursuing. Wrong things versus right things. He hasn't left that topic. When he says don't worry, he's assuming your, your worry or your anxiety is based on what you seek. That's what it's flowing out of. If I'm, if I'm seeking the wrong things, then I may be overly anxious for the wrong reasons. So he says, don't be. Don't, don't be anxious about what you eat, what you wear, because that's what the world seeks. That's what they're after. He's saying, don't, don't pursue that. Don't let that be the focus of your life. Well, I've, I've just got to work and get an education and get a retirement and a house and a car and a boat, a yacht. Don't be anxious about those things. Not even what we call the bare necessities. Don't set your mind on those things. God will give you what you need. Set your focus on Him, on Christ. When, When you operate in this world, when you're doing good deeds like He's been talking about, make sure that eternity is the focus. Reward from the Father. Don't look for the praise of men. And when it comes to necessities, what you eat, what you wear, trust God as well in those matters. Don't seek what the world seeks. The kingdom heirs have a different perspective. Life is all about Christ. Life is all about living for the glory of God. Paul said, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. That's an amazing statement. It's all about Him. So Paul said, I, I can abound if God gives me a lot. Or I can be abased. I can be in poverty if God gives me nothing as far as material things. 
And Paul said, I'm all right either way. He said, I've learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. Because what became all important to him, what was all-consuming in regard to his life was Christ, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. To live is Christ. And that's what Jesus is saying. You go after the things of the world, that's what the Gentiles seek. Now, we talked about that in the Sunday school this morning. The term Gentiles is it's just a generic term for um, unbelievers. In, in this context, in the context of the Old Testament, it was everybody that was a non-Jew. There were two classes of people, Jews and Gentiles, God's people and people who weren't God's people. That's what Jesus is saying when He uses the term. Those are the things that the world seeks after, those people who don't know God. So it raises a question. When we look at our life, when we look at our passions, where our money goes, where our time goes, do we see a difference in what we do and what the world does? Are our pursuits the same as the world? Or is there a clear distinction so that it's like going westbound on eastbound interstate? Are we clashing with the world or are we flowing with the world? Now, Jesus is saying the kingdom heirs are clashing. They've got a whole different view, a whole different set of values. So here's the bottom line. Verse 33. Seek first the kingdom. You see, he says, don't seek what lost people seek, what the world seeks. Don't get overly anxious about what you eat or what you're going to wear. Don't seek those things. Don't seek temporal things. Possessions, position, praise of men. Don't seek it. Don't be anxious about it. Even the bare necessities. Leave that to God. He provides for the birds. <laughs> he provides for the flowers. You're of much more value to Him than they. So, He says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. We want to look like Him. We want to act like Him. And all these things will be Added to you. Now, that's, that's the right perspective. Just focus on Him. Everything you do is with eternity in view. Everything we do, everything Christian does, is for the pleasure of God. Number one priority, seek Him. His kingdom, His righteousness. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, we thank You for Your love. Uh, the assurances we have in, this, in these uh, verses we consider today, the assurances of Your love, Truly, we, we have nothing to be anxious for because we have a Heavenly Father who cares for us, provides for us, 
works all things for our good. So you've instructed us to just set our eyes on you. As we, as we move through this life, um, going, looking unto Jesus, the author and completer of our faith. Grant us the grace, Lord, to do what You've exhorted us to do here. May we truly have a passion to know You more, to know You better, to do Your will, to live for heavenly reward rather than earthly reward. And may it all be for Your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.